0: following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. I, uh, I've had the privilege of uh, being a part of this body for about three and a half years, my wife and I, Caitlin, and um, we just love this family. There's a, a sweet kind of spirit here. There's a community of people who are really, uh, just truly authentic and loving, and it's been such a uh, a blessing for us to be a part of it and to grow. We uh, first started coming in Sherman Oaks, actually. Uh, I don't know what direction I'm pointing at, actually, but um, <laughs> out there somewhere. <laughs> um, it, so, it, we, you know, we came in Sherman Oaks, and, and we were meeting at an elementary school. So it's been cool to kind of see the progression of the story and how things are going, and Now we have, you know, a building and and God's doing good things and starting to fill the seats. And I just have a vision that um, this is going to be a body that um, is not only loving to God, but is loving to the community as well. And we really can't have one or the other. We need both. Um, Jesus said, you know, the great commandment is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. So there's, there's this uh, harmony between understanding God, relating to God through prayer, and through teaching, and study, and hearing God's voice. That's the, actually the first part of the Great Commandment, is the Shema, which is in the Old Testament, they would say the Shema, which was here. It's here, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And in order to love God, we need to hear God. In order to love people, we need to hear God. If we're going to love with his everlasting love, there's a difference between our earthly love, our human love, our emotion, and the everlasting uh, love of God. And that's something that God, I believe, wants to teach us and grow us in, is uh, a more complete love, um, a more eternal love. And um, I just see that in this community, that you guys are people of love, of God's love. And God is, uh, I believe, going to bless this community in in rich ways. And, you know, it's not about quantity. It's about quality. And, um, you know, the Lord spoke to me uh, probably a year ago about this church that um, is specifically to Pastor Brian, is that if you sow into quality, you will reap a quantity of quality. And I believe that this is going to be a body where there is a... Uh, there's an atmosphere, and the way that we relate, and the way we relate to God and to the outside community, that just kind of smells like quality. It doesn't feel cheap. It doesn't feel uh, contrived. It doesn't feel religious, but it's from the heart. And um, there's one thing that um, in First Samuel 16:7 says, uh, God does not see the same way people see. People look at the outside of a person, but the Lord looks at the heart don't we judge one another by the outside? I mean, we, we can so easily look at each other and say, oh, that guy, yeah, yeah he's wearing like a plaid shirt or something. Um, he's, he fits in this category. <laughs> you know, and, and we judge each other based off how we look. We judge each other based off of uh, our outward appearance. But God does not uh, see us that way. He looks at the heart. He knows our hearts. He knows what's going on on the inside the thoughts, the, the struggles, the uh, emotions, the joys that we experience. There's something that I want to do before I dive into the message, and I just I think there's something really important about um, about people understanding a core truth about God that doesn't get talked about too much, and I think this core truth could really revolutionize the way that we relate to God, the way that we relate to each other. And the way that God works through us. And the truth is that God is essentially a happy God. Do you believe that? God is happy. He's really happy. Right? How many of you got up this morning and be like, oh man, I got to go to church. Like, oh, like I got up this morning thinking, man, I got to go to church. You know, and and there's this this part of my heart that isn't yet reconciled to the idea that God is essentially happy. How about you? So there's something kind of weird I want to do just to kind of break the ice is have all of us say that God is happy. So I just want to say that together. God is happy. And he wants me to be happy. perfect. That's it. See you guys. That's it. I mean, that is it. He wants you to be happy. He's happy. And he wants to share that all around. We have this idea of God that is very heavy. And I believe that God is full of glory. And glory means weight. So there is a weightiness to God, a seriousness to God that we do need to understand. But what we also need to understand that is he is essentially happy. The scripture says that he is slow to anger and he is rich in love. He's slow to anger. Who of us here are quick to anger? Seriously, it's like, I didn't get my coffee this morning. That guy cut me off. I can't believe it. This is ridiculous. My day is ruined, right? Right? Like, I mean, we really get up in arms about the, like, little things, and God is slow to anger and rich in love. You know, God loved people who were not put together. God loved, uh, let's say, David in the Bible. So if we look at David's life, this guy was, he was called by God. He was anointed by God. There, he has an amazing story, and we look at him, and he's known as the, God, the man after God's heart, right? But there, there's all this nasty side to him, too. There's all of this dirty stuff that he did, such as murdering and committing adultery and all these things that we know not to do. So, how much more does God love us? If he loved that guy, if he loved that guy, and he used that guy in such powerful ways to bring forward the line of Jesus Christ, how much more does he love all of us? All of us. So, the message this morning is about consecration. I believe that um, in order to move forward into the things of God, to understand God, not just cognitively, but in our whole being, and to share him with others and to do that effectively, we have to be consecrated. It's kind of a big word for some of us, um, not for Pastor Scott, uh, wherever he is, because he's really good at those. Um, but Joshua chapter 3, uh, verse 5, if you want to turn there. There's this whole story about Israel being uh, basically delivered from captivity and then going into uh, this time of waiting because of disobedience to God. So Moses, you know, receives—they come out of captivity. All these powerful things happen. And then uh, there's some disobedience that happens. so God says, you know, you're going to have to wander— Um, in the desert for a while because you worshiped some other gods before me. And God says you can have no other gods before me, right? So in Joshua 3 verse 5, we we now come to this time where the next generation, Joshua's generation, is beginning to move forward out of this wandering place into taking the promised land, the land of milk and honey. And at that time, uh, God's presence dwelt in the Ark of the Covenant, and there was a whole system that they had uh, to atone for the sins of Israel, the sins of that time. And uh, the Ark basically represented God's presence. It's where his presence was, and they had a tabernacle that they would build. And they'd actually, it's called, a tabernacle is a tent, so they had a tent that basically would move around to wherever they wandered. Um, Eventually, in Solomon's era, that became a temple. It became an actual physical place. Um, But there's a whole story into coming into the promised land that predates all of that. And that's what I want to talk about. In Joshua 3, verse 5, it says, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Here Joshua is talking to Israel before they go to take Jericho. And there's a whole road to the promised land. And there is uh, these evil nations that are basically blocking the blocking them from taking what God was calling them to take, and so God did had to do some miraculous things to get them to this place and to lead them into taking the promised land. And here Joshua says, "Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you." If we continue to read in Joshua three, it says that. They're about to cross the Jordan River. The Jordan is basically flooded up and blocking them from this place, Jericho. Um, And Jericho uh, was built up, this is like a fortress, right? So they have to go take Jericho, is what God's calling them to do. But how can you do that when there's a river in front of you? And there's not a lot of modern technology to cross it. So they have an army of Israelites ready to go, ready to battle, ready to take the land. Um, but there's some obstacles in the way. One of those obstacles was themselves. Don't we run into those in our lives too? (laughs) You know, sometimes God calls us, hey, I I want you to take the land. I want you to have uh, this thing that I have promised to you. But some of the things that gets blocked, that's blocking us from that is our own pride. And here Joshua is telling the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do amazing things among you. What is that? Well, something miraculous happened. God told Joshua to tell uh, the priests to take the ark of the covenant and go to the edge of the water of the Jordan River, and the Jordan River split just like the Red Sea did back in Egypt when Moses crossed. So there's a there's a trend that we begin to see with the next generation. Um, But basically, what happened is this miraculous, powerful thing happened after they consecrated themselves the river splits super wide and gets held up and they can walk across and they actually took stones from the the bottom of the river and took them with them as a reminder um, of what God had done. So then God tells them to do something kind of weird too after they cross the river. Eventually, there's some more to the story, but essentially they go to Jericho and, and they're told to march around it seven times and then blow trumpets. That's a little weird. Have you ever done that? Did God ever ask you to take a trumpet and go, you know, blow it out? You know, it's like, I want to buy this house. Well, we better march around it seven times and then blow a trumpet. Um, it's a little strange. But the key theme here is that God spoke to Israel in very specific ways. And they had to hear him before they could move forward into what God was calling them to. Um, Consecration leads the way to that. It prepares us to hear from the Lord and then obey. And it's something that that Pastor Scott was talking about. It's not something that happens just one time. Every day we take up our cross, right? So something else interesting happened. Uh, is either an angel of the Lord or the Lord himself appeared to Joshua and told him uh, to take off his sandals very much like... Uh, like Moses had to do with the burning bush, if you remember that story. And uh, let's go ahead and turn to Joshua chapter 5, th- 13 through 15, and we'll read this together. Actually, crack it open. I'm a little old school today. I don't have a uh, PowerPoint. I'm a filmmaker, and I should, I should know these things, but um, we're going to go old school here. Okay, so jo- Joshua chapter 5, 13 through 15. Now, when Joshua... Was near Jericho. He looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, "Are you for us, or are you, or for our enemies?" Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked, "What message does my lord have for a servant?" The commander of the Lord's army replied, "Take off your sandals, for the place where you where you are standing is holy." And Joshua did so. So this was, this was on the preparation before taking Jericho. There is this holy moment that Joshua, the leader of Israel, has to encounter God, to receive from God, and then to know what to do next. And there's very much this ongoing dialogue with God that Joshua is having. It is not, okay, God, I got it. I got your message. I'm going to go do my own thing away from you. It is very much tuned in to what God was doing in real time. And there's this real-time conversation going on with God. How many of us think that we can have a real-time conversation with God? Good. I, li- I like this. This is good. I think all of us, I think God wants us to have full confidence in hearing his voice. Full confidence in hearing his voice. It doesn't mean that we always know what God's thinking. We don't always know his full plan— but what it means is that we are postured in a way that says, okay, God, I'm ready. Put me in, coach. I'm ready. You know? I remember playing basketball when I was a kid, and I was like this, like, I don't know if you've had this experience, but I was an eager young guy where I was like, I was like, ready, man. I'm like, come on. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to go. And I, I wasn't, you know, I didn't score many points. I wasn't good. That was good at defense. That was my thing. I was like, you know. I couldn't block. I was short. But... Um, you know, God, um, God's looking for that attitude in us. He's not looking—he's looking for that childlike attitude. He's not looking necessarily for us to have it all put together, right? Where it's like, oh, God, I know all of your thoughts. Therefore, I do not need you. It's the opposite. It's, God, I don't know what you're thinking. I don't know what you're doing. But I want to. So put me in. I'm ready. I'm ready. And to be made ready, we have to be consecrated, like Joshua said. And what is consecration? In that time, consecration was kind of an interesting thing because basically it meant that um, when he said consecrate yourselves, it meant take off your clothes and wash your clothes, wash your bodies, and abstain from, from sex. And there was this, um, in, in that time, uh, emphasis on that for, I think, symbolic reasons ultimately that we can look at kind of as we're out in the world, when we consecrate ourselves, our clothes would represent most likely uh, the dirt that gets on us from the outside. Um, And then washing our bodies would be preparing ourselves on the inside. And then uh, abstinence, I believe, is basically being willing to kind of put on hold our pleasures for the sake of God. It doesn't mean the pleasures are wrong. God's essentially happy, right? So he's a God of pleasure. At his right hand, our pleasure is forevermore. So it's not that God isn't a God of pleasure. It's about taking our pleasures and putting them aside for the sake of God so that we can hear him. And it's just for time. You know, we look at fasting in the Bible, and it's very clear that fasting is uh, it's putting on hold our pleasures, our, our hungers, our urges, putting them to the side so that we can dedicate some time to hear God. And these, these, I think, are building blocks for us to understand on how to hear God and how to obey. Um, is first, taking some time, like in, when we're in that holy moment, taking our sandals off like Joshua, and saying, Lord, it, this, is, this, is, this, is your, this is a holy moment. This is your time, God. And I'm, I'm going to respect that. We're talking about, you know, the creator of the universe versus uh, temporal beings. It's a serious deal, right? So, What does consecration look like? I think consecration looks like a few things. I think one of the main things to start with is confession. Um, If we confess our sins, it's 1 John, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, one of the lies the enemy wants to speak to us is that there is no consequence. There is no sin. There's no... You know, for the, the the things we do wrong in our life, or the attitudes of our heart, there's no consequence to these things. That's kind of silly to me. You know, I, one thing that I want to see the church grow in is to, to stop trying to sugarcoat um, the fact that we're all weak. You know, I heard somebody say recently that really kind of touched me, uh, you know, someone was kind of upset, was, uh, someone from another religion was upset with this, this friend of mine because she stood up for, you know, for Jesus and the Bible and all of that. It's like, why, do you, why are you so self-righteous as a Christian? Why are you so self-righteous that, you know, you think that you're right and everybody's wrong? Do you ever ask that question? Why are Christians so self-righteous? That's like, you walk into a church and it's like, man, I feel condemned here. I just feel like I'm wrong and they're right and they, the good ones sit in the front row, and the bad ones sit in the back. I'm talking about you people. No. Um, do you guys ever feel that way? It's kind of weird when we think about it, right? I mean, what, do, what does Pastor Brian have over you guys, right? He, I mean, he was born from a mother, like all of us were, right? We were all born We all were little kids. We were babies. We were bottle-fed, spoon-fed. We have the same story, right? Just in a variety of ways. So there's no difference here. But, But what my friend said to this person was said, you know, it's not at all that I'm right. I think we're all wrong. All of us. We're all wrong. We all, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, if we look at God, if we imagine for a minute, if we just suspend our disbelief and say, what if God was all-powerful? What if God was everywhere? What if God knew everything? If we suspended our disbelief about that and said, what if, what if it's true what the Bible says? What if it's true what some of these weird Christians are saying? These self-righteous. Christians. What if it's true what they're saying, regardless of their attitudes? What if it's true? Do we ever ask that question? What if it's true? If we did that, if if we just stopped for a minute and suspended our disbelief and said, Lord, compared to you, I'm like a speck of dust. If that's who you are, what am I? I'm tiny, I'm little, I'm small, but yet you love us. How? How? How can the all-knowing, righteous judge, the only righteous judge that ever existed, how could the righteous judge look at us and say, I love you, and I want you, and you're mine, you belong to me. Do we believe that, he, that we belong to Jesus? Do we, be, do we know that we belong to the King of Kings? Do we know that we belong to the God of the universe? Transcendent of all knowledge, transcendent of all temporary things? If we knew that, it would revolutionize our lives. Part of what we need to hear is our identity. Part of what this body needs to hear is our identity in Christ. And who we are in Christ. And if we want to move forward into taking the promised land, we cannot do that until we know who we are. And part of who we are are people who say, I don't have it. I don't have the answer. But I know you do, Lord. I know you know. I know you have the answer and I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to surrender my will to yours. The beautiful thing about Christianity is it doesn't just sit here and say, you're okay just the way you are. You were made just right. You were made just right. That's one thing. But we're not really okay, are we? I, I don't think so. I look at my life and I'm like, man, I'm not, I'm not content. I'm not happy the way I want to be happy. And the, the, the cool thing is that Christianity doesn't say, here's a religion where you're okay just the way you are. It doesn't if we really look at it. It says you were made just right. And we delight in that. And God delights in that. But if we just sit here and stay, then we're not moving forward into our, the fullness of our destiny and the fullness of the joy that God wants to give us. It is for freedom that he has set us free, Jesus says. It's for freedom, not so that he can have little, you know, Pinocchios with marionette strings. He doesn't want us to be, uh, you know, just cookie cutter. There's a diversity of human beings on this planet, and he loves every single one of them. Every single one of them. And he has, in, in his mind's eye, in his heart, every single one of us to be close to him, to come and sit at his table, to eat with him, to get to know him. Confession leads us this way. Confession opens us up. It's, a, it's an act of consecration. We confess our sins. Oh, I'm wrong. Jesus, I surrender. I give up. You know, I like to think when we raise our hands at church, it looks weird, but it's just saying I surrender. It's like, okay, God's got a gun to my back. I better surrender, <laughs> right? So let's surrender to God. We have to confess our sins and we have to know that sins have been done against us. Sin is kind of an ugly word these days, but it's true. We all sin. We all have sinned and fallen short. And Jesus even, you know, brought it down to the, the level of the heart, not just the actions. The their sins of the heart. And you know, the beauty is to say, I confess it's true. I'm done pretending that it's not true. And God is then faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. While we were sinners, and Romans says, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we were put together. Not when we were good Christian people. It was while we were sinners, he died for us. It was, he was thinking of us in our most weak place and saying, I love them so much, I'm going to give my life for them. I love them so much that I'm going to die for them. Greater love has no man than this, than to lay his life down for a friend. And Jesus looked at the sinner and he said, that sinner is my friend. I love him. I love her. What? I don't deserve this. I don't deserve that kind of love. I need to, you know, put on my Sunday's best. And then, maybe we could have a conversation. But no, God says, while we were sinners, while we were sinners, he died for us. So we need to confess our sins. Let's be honest. Stop pretending. All right. Surrender, even sometimes the good pleasures for a while. And then he will produce a greater joy in that. Okay? So it, I know it seems simple. I don't want to belittle any of us. But it, I think it's really true that we need to come to come to kind of terms with some of these things. One of them being our sinful nature And then the other, the fact that we like to privilege our pleasures before God, before him. And it needs to be the other way around. Let's put God on the forefront and then our pleasures can take the back seat for a little bit. And we don't have to be a slave to our pleasures, but unfortunately, that's what happens and actually nullifies them and dulls them down a bit. There's an amazing, immense amount of pleasure in God. But we have to surrender. The next step is worship. We need to take our trumpets out and blow them when we march around Jericho. Okay, so God is calling us into a battle. How do we wage war? Well, let's march around and blow trumpets, right? What that means is we are going to put God first and say, Lord, you are taking the land, not us. This is not our conquest. This is not us going to destroy people. This is literally God reclaiming and claiming a promised land for this people, for his people, so they could be a remnant for Jesus to come. Romans chapter 12 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers. Actually, let's open up to Romans 12. This is a, a good one. It's an important one to land on for a second. Romans chapter 12. Therefore, chapter 1, or verse 1, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. This is your spiritual act of worship. It's not, you know, putting on a show. It's not being extra religious and thinking, you know, if we just drum up enough, you know, self-strength, we can do this. It's literally, he's saying, Offer your life like I offered it. And that's what taking up our cross, dying to ourselves, self-denial, all that, what that means is that we're saying, Lord, as you loved, we want to love in the same way. So in view of your mercy through Jesus, we we offer ourselves, our bodies, as a living sacrifice. No longer do we sacrifice like we did in the Old Testament. They used to take in the Old Testament, in the tabernacle, like I was saying earlier, they, uh, they would actually uh, take a sheep and sacrifice it and atone for the sins of the people. Um, that is the old covenant. That's the old way. There is a new way through Jesus. Something really interesting happened. It, let's just actually pause and talk about the tabernacle. There's an outer court in the tabernacle, and then there's a holy place, and then there's the most holy place, or the holy of holies. And... There's three stages. And in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. And so at the tabernacle and the temple, it's the same model, basically. You have stages into coming into knowing God. And in similar ways in our prayer life, this is is true. Um, But it's now maximized in Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, there was a veil between the Most Holy Place and the Holy of Holies. And when Jesus died on the cross, this massive, thick veil was torn from top to bottom. And God's presence was released. God's presence was released from a building, from an object, into the body, into us. Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm sending my comforter, the Holy Spirit, And the Holy Spirit then came into us, and we see that at Pentecost when the disciples received the Holy Spirit and then went out and began to impact the world with the gospel. So, Romans 12, it says, We offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Now, what happens instead of a sheep being killed for our sins, Christ paid for it with his body. And then we mimic and imitate Christ. We say, Lord, now that I know my identity, I know that I'm, I'm loved, I am now saved, I am embraced by you, I'm going to respond with the same love. And I'm going to offer myself and take up my cross every day and follow you and do the same for my friends and my neighbors and my enemies. Confession, surrender, worship. And then... The next step, I believe, is a posture of prayer. It's a posture. It's a heart attitude. Isaiah six eight says, "The Lord says, then I heard the uh, or Isaiah says, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, who, whom shall I send, and who will go for us?'" And I, I, Isaiah responded by saying, "I said, here I here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, send me." And there's a posture. There's a heart attitude that we have to take with God if we want to know God and grow in him and understand his voice and be a part of his movement, we have to take a posture of, God, here I am. Send me. Put me in, coach. I'm ready. (laughs) I'm ready. I I took my notes on one of these little pads. It's kind of funny because you can't really write much on them. Um, What does consecration prepare us for? I think this is an important question to ask because it's one thing to be like talking about consecration on a conceptual level and say, look at these amazing ideas, right? But what about, like, what is it for? Like, what's the purpose? What is the purpose of God uh, calling us into consecration? I think the first thing to think about is in Joshua 3 where it says, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. Amazing things will happen. (laughs) Yes. Right? Amazing things are going to happen. So it prepares us for amazing things. Because God is happy. Because God is full of joy. He's preparing us for the miraculous. For him to show up and part the Jordan River. For him to come into our lives and our circumstances and say, that giant in your land, I'm going to take it down. I'm going to take down the giant in your land so that you can have what God has promised. He prepares us for his presence. We need to be prepared for the presence of God, right? We can't just, we can't just say, you know, uh, you know, I got this whole presence of God thing down. He's mysterious. He's God. We are not. So there's a, there's a posture where we say, Lord, we're consecrating ourselves so that we can be ready to receive your presence, to receive your Holy Spirit, and not just kind of be nonchalant about it, right? He's also preparing us for battle. There's a series of battles in our lives that we're going through, spiritual battles, even as Christians. And these battles are really important for us to fight in. But we cannot fight these without being consecrated. We cannot fight them well. Right after Jericho, an interesting thing happened. Joshua sent out a group of guys to go take another city called Ai. And essentially what happened is he thought, hey, we got the presence of God, we're going, we took Jericho, blah, blah, blah. This is great. And then I'm going to go over here, let's take this one. Boom. And their guys got killed. And he's like, the Israelites are like, wait. I thought, you know, we had God on our side. What's going on here? Well, there's some people within the camp that God commanded specifically not to take certain things in Jericho, and they took them. They were greedy. And greed set into the heart. And covetousness set into the heart, and they took things that were not theirs to take. And because of that, God did not let them progress until They dealt with that issue. We have issues in our hearts. We have issues going on in the inside that are preventing us from going to that next level, to that next stage of what God's wanting us to. I think one of the main things that it is is fear. I think there's a spirit of fear that we struggle with in our lives. And I believe that love and fear are enemies. Perfect love casts out all fear. I'm not talking about the reverence or fear of God. I'm talking about the fear that the enemy puts in our hearts when we're dealing with sin, when we're dealing with sins done against us. The last thing he prepares us for is the promised land. He has a great and awesome destiny for each and every one of us. He has an amazing destiny for all of you, for this body and for the entire body of Christ abroad. And we have to prepare ourselves for this promised land. I believe that God is going to pour out his spirit in ways that we have yet to see even documented in the Bible. And I believe that we need to be made ready to do this. And it's not us doing it, it's God doing it through us. There is a next reformation. It's more than a revival. There is a great reformation that's coming. And we need to be ready for it with smiles on our faces because God is good and he's happy. All right? So I just want to read a little passage from my wife's devotional. She, this is uh, March 21st, uh, yesterday. And she read it to me and it just hit me in a way that was really powerful and very appropriate for this kind of topic. Um, it says, Trust me and don't be afraid. This is God's point of view. Trust me, And don't be afraid, for I am your strength and song. Think what it means to have me as your strength. I spoke the universe into existence. My power is absolutely unlimited. Human weakness, consecrated to me, is like a magnet, (laughs) drawing my power into your neediness. However, fear can block the flow of my strength, into you. Instead of trying to fight your fears, concentrate on trusting me. When you relate to me in confident trust, there is no limit to how much I can strengthen you. Remember that I am also your song. I want to share my joy, living in conscious awareness of my presence. Rejoice as we journey together toward heaven. Join me in singing my song. There is a song of the Lord that he wants to put in our mouths. Psalm 40. I want to set your feet on a rock. I was in a pit. I'm going to set your feet on a rock. Make your footsteps firm. I will put a new song in your mouth. There's a new song that he wants us to sing, and there's a new song he's singing over us, and he wants us to learn the words to the song. Do you want to learn these words with me? Will you come with me? Come with this body. Will you come with Jesus? It's the invitation of Jesus. Come with me and sing the song. Come with me on this journey and sing this song. I have a new thing. I have a new way. The old is gone. The new has come. I'm a new creation. One last thing, and then we'll close. I'm just going to flip back in my little notepad. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 8, 1 and 2. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by man. There is a true tabernacle in heaven. And Jesus is at the center of it. And God set this up. And Jesus, the tearing of the veil, what it did for us, is it completely paid for all record of wrong so that we can come boldly into the throne of grace to receive mercy and God's love, to receive his mercy and grace. So Jesus made the ultimate payment was the entire bridge into this. You know how, how regimented it was in the old covenant, covenant compared to how it is now? We have an amazing bridge into the throne room. Are we accessing that? Are we accessing God in the way that God wants to be accessed? Are we allowing ourselves to be accessed the way that he wants us to be accessed? So we need to lay down our fears, lay down our pride and come deal with some issues. I think there's some issues here this morning. And God is not afraid of them. He's not afraid of our issues, but there's some issues. There's some fear. There's some resentment here. There's some frustration with God. God, I want to hear your voice. Why aren't you speaking? There's, there's, a, there's a hopelessness that we deal with, and God wants to inspire new hope. There's also amazing power here. There's amazing gifts here, and God wants to release those in fullness. So I want to pray this morning as the worship team comes up and pray that this gets released in a new way in this body. And I just want to invite anybody, too, who wants to come up and just symbolically uh, just come to the front and consecrate themselves again. I just want to uh, invite any of you who feel moved by what I'm saying um, in any way, if, if you didn't receive anything else, receive this, that God is happy, okay? And he's happy about you, and he wants you to be happy. And this is part of that road to happiness, It's not something that we earn. It's something he paid for. It's not something we do religiously on our own. It's something that he laid his life down for. So Jesus, we just open our our eyes, Lord, to see you. We lay down our ideas about you, God, and we ask that you would tell us more about who you are. We just want to consecrate ourselves this morning. We want to clean, be cleansed by you, God. We want to lay down our pride, our ideas, Lord, about you, our rights, God, and say your way and your way alone, God. In Jesus' name, I just pray over this, this group of people here that you would reveal your, their identity in a way that they have not heard it before, that they are fearfully and wonderfully made that you love them unconditionally, that there's nothing that we could do to make you love us any less than you do already. You are no favoritist, Lord. You are the God of all love. And may that love be released in power. May that love be released in power through us, Lord. To us and through us. We have to receive God's love in order to give God's love. If there's anybody here today I just feel like there's some here today that need to receive God's love in a new way that they haven't yet before. God loves you. loves you. He 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 loves you. We're so afraid of letting go of this fear that maybe He doesn't. The truth is that He does. Jesus, would you just release your love? In a new, powerful way, may we come into the full knowledge, God, of your unconditional, unfailing, fatherly love, Lord. Some of us have had hard lives, painful stories. And God, I just thank you that you love these ones. I thank you that if if you were a favoritist, The only ones you favor are the widow and the orphan, Lord. The poor. The poor in spirit. I thank you that those are the ones you care for. Not the ones who have it put together, but the ones who are desperate. We're desperate for you, God. Come and just release your power and your love in new, exciting ways. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do amazing things among you. Let's expect that in Jesus' name. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. We pray that this message has blessed you. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.